This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hey, welcome back. Uh, so real quick before I get started, I'm going to once again go ahead and uh, plug my uh, book, which is set to release next month, already available for pre-order on Amazon. There's a link down below in the description if you want to check it out. I'll drop one in the comment section as well. Currently just shows up as available on ebook, but it will be available in paperback, hardcover, and uh, as an audiobook on Audible and on uh, Apple iTunes, uh, their audiobooks platform. So kind of a big deal, something I'm really looking forward to. Uh, so so jumping into today's uh, podcast, a bit of a different format than a lot of my other work, uh, you know, more recently. I, I want to... You know, uh, you, you get the gist of it in the title. I want to talk about a couple different things regarding the markets, regarding kind of our broader market system, economic system uh, that, that we have today, which I think is really un- in some ways unique. Um, in other ways, it's something we've seen repeated throughout human history, but but it is very unique in, in some, some manners. I want to get to that. I, I want to talk about things like inflation, um, some of these supply chain problems as well, um, shortages of goods in 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 the store, and and I also want to bring it all back to some extent to precious metals. Uh, so so I want to start off with with our current system, our current economic system. Uh, it's fragile. That's that's a big takeaway I want to start off with is that we live in a fragile economic system. And and the reason for that dates back um uh, at least two decades. I'm sure you can go further back than that. Um but but it was really after the dot com bubble popping uh that that many you know began to recognize or or we saw the first signs of a central bank um transition into a more accommodative state than it had in the past. The central bank I'm referring to here, by the way, is the Fed. And this is something that we saw um, also repeated in Japan, uh, to some extent, probably before then, before the Fed transitioned to that state. We've since seen repeated in uh, the EU, um, to some extent by the PBOC and, and many other central banks. And, and it's not just a central banking problem. It's a certainly a fiscal policy, uh, a government problem as well, especially the United States, because we have that world reserve currency and we can just spend, uh, so much more than, than some of these other countries can, uh, domestically through, through our, you know, government, um, funded by deficits much, much more significantly than taxes in my mind. Uh, we, we have that ability. So it's certainly a bigger player here in the United States. But, but the, the effect of all that has been that it create, it's created a fragile system. Um, this is a, a kind of a phrase I've used in the past, but that the Fed over time has, has chosen to replace the business cycle or the normal credit cycle or whatever term you want to give to it with sort of a never ending credit boom. Right. Fueled by, by credit growth, liquidity growth and, and easy monetary policy and, and, and also aided by very accommodative fiscal policy. It's an incredibly irresponsible practice. 
Um, but it's something that's done intentionally and it's done with the intention of essentially kicking the can down the road, doing what's most politically expedient over the short term in order to avoid serious in their mind, serious damage to the economy, rocking the boat, um, financial crises, you name it. Ironically, um, it, it has created a very fragile system. See, if, if the system were able to go through a normal boom-bust cycle, whatever term you want to give to that, normal recessions, or even recessions that were just lightly aided, let's say, by the federal government or a central bank, uh, rather than, than what we have now, uh, it would be a far more resilient system. It'd be a far less levered system and a far less risky system. It would be a system that is far less dependent, you know, when we're talking about, let's say, the stock market or broader markets, far less dependent on low volatility. Um, this is something that's been talked about in the past. I forget the, if it was Chris Cole or another one that, that kind of was talking about the term of, of explicit and implicit um, short volatility and that in today's system and in today's stock market and we, we, we have a, a system that's full of implicitly short um, markets and, and assets and positions, right? Uh, and, and it's really dependent on a very accommodative central banking system globally um, and, and, and it's dependent on a lot of fiscal policy and and it's created a fragile system. Once again, it's not hard to rock this boat, right? And, and, and you know, COVID-19 and the pandemic, the associated pandemic, you know, we can put that in a different ballpark and say that that was a pretty serious economic shock, right? But, but since then, what we're going to see in the future and what we've already seen already, even prior to COVID-19, is that we will have these smaller, you know, problems crop up. And they're always viewed by the Fed, and I think rightfully so by the market participants, as a major risk to the system because we have such a highly levered and such a fragile system. Uh, case in point, something we're witnessing right now is the situation in China with Evergrande. Um, China is kind of an interesting situation in that, you know, during and post Great Recession, it, it was their economy, especially their real estate market that played a huge role in it, that really pulled us out of that recession globally. And of course, it was a ton of growth that was fueled by debt, you know, artificial growth, but, but growth nonetheless. Um, a huge real estate boom. And, and since then, you know, since you know, maybe the mid 2000s, China has been, you know, to some extent, and you know, their communist party, um, they have to some extent acknowledged this, both by their actions and sometimes by their words. Of course, you know, uh, anything, anything they're releasing is going to be just as carefully selected. You know, uh, statements released to the media, speeches given by central bankers, party members, etc. It's going to be just as closely, you know, very intentional in what they do and don't say. Just like, the, just like the Federal Reserve or the, the Secretary of Treasury here in the U.S. And and they have been very, ex, uh, you know, ex, explicit in some of those statements and some of those actions that they realize they're in a bubble and they don't want what they or would have many have termed a hard landing. They want a soft landing. They want to rein in some of that. And and they have to some extent over the years. They've tried to. Oftentimes, it, it was failing. Um, oftentimes, what would end up having to happen is they would have to you know ratchet up their credit impulse. Um, it, we. 
you know, in many ways doing the same thing that the Fed would have done, um, essentially, again, trying to to create a never-ending credit boom. But what we're seeing out playing out in China right now, and again, I said in my last podcast, I'm by no means an expert on any of that. Um, I, I don't have it. It's not something I followed nearly as closely as many others in the financial system. Um, but nonetheless, it's something that China, their government, because of, you know, just how socialistic they are, um, socialist they are, uh, they could have prevented it. They chose not to. And, it, you know, it remains to be seen how much they will ultimately intervene. Uh, but it goes to show that we live in a very fragile system that when you do allow something to break without intervening, well, wow, I mean, there's a lot of people question out there, is this, you know, is this a Lehman moment? Is this the thing that triggers off a broader contagion to U.S. banks, European banks, Asian banks. Again, it remains to be seen. But but it's a you know part of that is, is that we live in a very fragile system today. You know, moving on from just the broader market or broader system, economic system, is to the markets. Um, that's something that we've seen quite a bit lately. And this is where you know inflation, which by the way I think has the effect of making the broader economic system more fragile. Uh, you see it in the markets. They are irregular, to, to put it lightly. And, and, you know, don't get me wrong, we've always seen markets do that, you know, throughout human history, move up and down in, in drastic manner. Um, but even just since the COVID-19 pandemic really started in terms of, of the economic impacts, we've seen this play out time and time again, especially on the side of supply chain, but also just uh, in general, a lot of markets, especially physical markets, commodities. Um, we've seen it uh, certainly play out with silver, um, the acute uh, shortages of retail silver that we saw at points of time in both 2020 and 2021. Um, wasn't a full-blown shortage of silver. There was still silver out there, but certainly uh, stackable silver was in short supply. And I think that there was some extent of a shortage in uh, investment-grade silver, 1,000-ounce bars, etc., available for purchase, right? We've also seen it play out in the lumber market. Um, we're seeing it play out right now in natural gas over in uh, Europe. Uh, I think we're going to continue to see that play out in various you know energy markets around the world. Um, we're seeing it play out to some extent in the uranium market right now um, for a variety of other reasons as well, but but certainly I think that's part of it. We're seeing it play out in steel prices. We've seen it play out in various you know food prices, um, uh, you know like future markets uh, for for grains and whatnot. Um, and we're seeing it play out in inflation data. Um, physical goods rising in price significantly. Used car prices, we're seeing it play out and, and a whole host of things where all of a sudden these markets, which, you know, I, I'm a big fan of, you know, capitalism and, and global trade, I don't think is inherently a bad thing. And I mean, it's a much more complex subject than that, but, but, but it's a good system we had in the sense that, you know, everything gets here on time and we have a, a huge variety in, in terms of choices of what to purchase. And, and the cost of goods here in the United States was oftentimes not as nearly as high as it, as it could have been. And, you know, there, there's a lot to be said for it, but, um, it, at least it delivered the product. And then what we're seeing now is that oftentimes these products are not there, you know, and, and we have to ask, you know, why is that? I, I think, you know, first of all, there's supply chain problems, which I think are partly relate back to this, this idea of fragile systems. Um, I, I don't think we can keep blaming on COVID-19 restrictions. Can't keep blaming it on the Suez Canal being blocked. You know, um, those are, those are legitimate causes for, for supply chain problems. Although 
they themselves, you know, show just how fragile our supply chain system is too. Um, but, but no, you can't just blame it on that. I think a lot of it is, is inflation oriented, right? Uh, the, the happy Hawaiian, he's kind of been laying out some of this oh, over on Twitter. Uh, he's on Reddit as well. I'm sure some of you may be familiar with him, but he's been laying this out pretty, pretty succinctly for kind of the, the layman, which I even consider myself usually. I'm, I'm a layman when it comes to this stuff. I don't have a degree in economics. I'm not a, you know, but, um, he, uh, you know, he talks about, you know, if you have, he gave the analogy essentially of, you know, a uh, hundred chocolate bars, a dollar each, you know, a hundred dollars in the system. And then all of a sudden you, you know, you double the amount of dollars in the system. All of a sudden, you know, there's no chocolate bars left. Well, yeah. I mean, if there's still going to be a dollar, then, uh, you know, you, you double the amount of do- you know, the dollars in the system, then yeah, you're going to end up with shortages. And I think that's what we're seeing right now with inflation. I would totally agree with his assessment, especially if producers and retailers, manufacturers, um, if they're not raising their prices in accordance with actual inflation, right? If, if for whatever reason they think a 2% raise is justified when in reality, maybe inflation justifies an 8% raise, 10%, 12, you know, you add in supply chain costs, maybe higher than that. Um, and, and, and they don't. And, and all of a sudden you have shortages of, of everything. <laughs> I mean, not, not literally every, every, but, but a lot of things that we just didn't experience in the past as often. Um, right now it's, you know, car chips, right? Or even just new cars in general, used cars to some extent, you know, certainly the price has gone up on those, but, but, you know, chips for that, um, chips for computers, right? Uh, <laughs> how about this? Um, my wife and I have a hard time finding uncrustables. We, we would find uncrustables and all they had was like the, um, reduced sugar. I think it was like wheat, uh, bread uncrustables at the store, you know, and maybe that's a re- maybe it's just a coincidence, but but you see this all the time where a certain product that you're used to having in stock is not there, and I think part of that relates back to fragile systems, fragile supply chain systems, and inflation um, causing these these things in the markets. I think we're going to continue to see it play out to a greater extent in other markets as well. We'll see just crazy. Um, rallies and, and crashes as well in, in uh, some of those markets that are more so on the, the periphery, right? You're going to see it in the meme stocks. You're going to see it in, um, you know, given food, the commodity or, you know, let's say maybe food across the board or energy across the board, real estate across the, you're going to see these frenzies in these markets, which, you know, ultimately come back down to earth to some extent. But, but ultimately, I do think we'll continue to increase in price and stay at an elevated price level because that's inflation. And where are we going to see inflation most evident? Well, you know, and there's, there's an answer to that that would be correct for a, a different economic system, an economic system with less, you know, central bank intervention that's going to affect everything from stock prices to, to, um, real estate to, to, bonds and interest rates. But then there's the answer for, for today's economy and, and our economic system. I think the answer to that is going to be physical commodities, physical assets, um, certainly precious metals, but, but also real estate, cars, food, electronics, you name it, rent, uh, you know, housing, essentially, you know, you're going to see um, those things you know, end in those, those frenzies, end up in those kind of frenzied markets. And, and, you know, they go up in price and they come down, but they don't come all the way back down. Look at the price of lumber. Uh, you know, look at where the price of, of, of steel goes. You know, you're going to see them spike and, and, you know, five year, 10 year, 15 year highs, but they're not coming back down. Look at silver, you know, up close to 30 bucks. 
um, um, you know, within the last year, back down to 22 now. And, and that's, it's been a really tough time in the silver market and still at $22 an ounce, which is far higher than, um, you know, the past cycle lows in the, you know, low teens, below 15, below $14 an ounce, right? Same thing goes for, for gold, right? We're seeing these changes play out and, and I think it's far from over because I believe that inflation is far from over here in the United States, especially. I think central bank intervention, government intervention, this idea of kicking the can down the road, doing what's most politically expedient, um, trying to, to blow up this, this never-ending credit bubble, credit cycle with, with more and more credit, more and more liquidity. That's, that's not going to end. Taper talk is a, is a fantasy. Um, I think I'd be surprised if the Fed even got to zero on their QE, never mind QT or interest rate hikes. Um, it's just not happening. We're, we're so far past that. There's been an incredible amount of debt, incredible amount of leverage, and an incredible amount of fragility added to the system in the last two years. And, and we were already in a bad spot, you know, in, in 2019. But you add COVID and all of the related debt because of the damage done to our economies and because um, the, the, the load that, that especially the government sector took on here in the United States. And you add also, um, the, the kind of the new normal for central banking, which is just another, uh, whole new, another level of, of crazy and an unprecedented, um, intervention. Uh, you're, you're not coming back from that. Things aren't like how they used to be. And I'm seeing people now predict, you know, by the end of the year, early next year in a recession. And I wouldn't doubt it. And the crazy thing is that you look at, you know, let's say the stock market. Stock market drops 10%. The Fed has an answer, right? You get out of control oil prices. Yeah, federal government, Federal Reserve, they got an answer for that, hopefully, maybe, you know, um, something to tame that, right? Uh, real estate crashes significantly. They have an answer for that to some extent, right? Um, recession, right? Slow down. Hey, let's just spend some money, print some more money too. You know, they get an answer for that. They get an answer for a lot of these problems that, that have popped up predictably, uh, that, that have, you know, looked as though they could be the thing that might throw off our, you know, this, this bubble, this, this period of economic growth, this, you know, this never ending credit cycle. Uh, the one thing they don't have an answer for, of course, is the, the biggest, um, risk to, to anybody that, you know, studies these types of systems and studied, has studied how this has ended in the past. Um, throughout human history, and that's inflation. That's the one thing that they don't have an answer for. I mean, let's say we go into another recession. What are they going to do with rates? They're going to drop them. Um, they're going to you know, start with the printing process, QE, uh, debt monetization, uh, maybe going to the corporate markets, going to the real estate markets, right? Helicopter money from them and, and the federal government, handouts, increased you know, fiscal debt. I mean, who cares? You know, What's another few trillion? Uh, Okay, they have an answer to all that, but but how about ten percent inflation? What's their answer to that? High interest rates—that's going to bring down the whole system. Stop QE, bring down the whole system. They don't have an answer for it. Stop government spending. Boom, back in a recession, or you know, worse. Um, they, they don't have an answer for inflation, and, and that's why you see so you know fervently you're seeing establishment folks, uh, especially from the Fed and the government. I think even if establishment. Um, establishment financial community people um, oftentimes aren't aren't so you know 
dumb to, to endorse kind of like, hey, this is transitory, low inflation, although there's plenty out there. Um, and there's plenty that rightfully believe that we're, that we're going to see deflation, and you know, for different reasons other than just that they're, you know, an establishment uh, uh, kind of a guy or gal. But, but uh, no, inflation is something that they don't have an answer for. And, um, and it's something that, that is hugely, hugely uh, crucial that, that each of us understand. The Fed is going to continue to downplay it and call it transitory and, and let's focus on the debt crisis or not debt crisis, but you know, the, the government spending cap. Um, let's focus on, um, taper. Let's focus on uh, ignoring the elephant in the room of, of rising inflation that they don't have an answer for. And, and something as simple as a little bit of tapering, um, a little bit less of deficit spending, uh, you know, is, is simply not going to answer. Which again, of course, always leads me back to, to precious metals. Not to say that they're the only thing out there, right? In terms of, I said before, you know, physical assets. Um, there's there's a ton out there that I think are going to benefit along the way, and we already have seen them benefit to some extent. And I'm sure they'll find another leg up. You know, looking at you lumber or or something like that, used car prices, whatever it might be. Um, but precious metals, of course, silver and gold. The, the kind of two main monetary metals in my mind, um, they kind of meet the, the test of the, the long-term track record, um, fungible, uh, easily stored by the average person. Um, you know, we, we have, you know, the blessings of the modern financial system, economic system. We can easily invest in the lumber markets or the steel markets or copper or, or base metals. Um, we can easily invest in natural gas futures or oil futures. Um, and so that's great, but but some of those are, are simply riddled with counterparty exposure. And silver and gold are, are the kind of main physical assets that are going to preserve their value long term, easily fungible, easily exchangeable, and, and are not going to carry that counterparty risk. And and of course, I think still are, are massively undervalued and still massively manipulated by today's system. And that's what brings me back to silver and gold time and time again. Um, so... I hope this has been some food for thought. This has been part observation, part prediction on my part in the sense that this is stuff we've been seeing, something we're seeing more recently here in terms of fragile systems and markets and supply chain inflation. Uh, but this is also something we're, we're, I think, just getting started with, right? Um, which is something that could have been said two years ago, five years ago. Um, by the way, coming up on five years on my YouTube channel, podcast. Um, I think it was late September, I think I started, of 2016, believe it or not. Now, a lot of those videos, podcasts aren't up anymore. Um, I I think mine go back to 2018, summer 2018, I think. The long story why that's the case, um, I ended up taking them down in in fear of, you know, ever getting copyright strikes and whatnot. and been better about my, my use of thumbnails and stuff like that. But five years, big deal. Um, So... Thank you to, to those of you that have been tuning in. I know there's plenty of you out there that have been tuning in for, for one, two, three, four years plus maybe. I appreciate it. Um, once again, plug in my book. There's a link down below in the description and in the comment section if you want to check it out on Amazon. Pre-order it even on Kindle. Um, as always, though, I'd like to thank every one of you from the bottom of my heart for tuning in to today's podcast. And God bless.